0: It's Aspen Ideas to Go from the Aspen Institute. I'm Trisha Johnson. The issue of immigration in the United States is a political third rail that often leads to deadlocked conversations. It's hard to even agree on the problem, much less the solutions.
1: What if I told you, Tom, that nobody wants to solve the immigration issue? What if I told you it's lucrative, it's productive, everyone wants to talk about it, everyone wants to blame the other side?
0: Humanitarian crises around the world, including the war in Ukraine, violence and corruption in Central America, and climate displacement, continue to drive thousands of immigrants to the southern border. What would it take to enact policies that address our security and labor needs and our humanitarian ideals? Aspen Ideas To Go brings you compelling conversations presented at the Aspen Ideas Festival. In this panel discussion, politicians and advocates debate the country's approaches to handling immigration amid the current crises. NBC correspondent Tom Yamas moderates the conversation between former Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, the head of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service Krish O'Mara Vinaraja. Texas U.S. Representative Tony Gonzalez, and the head of Service Employees International Union, Mary Kay Henry. Here's Yamas.
2: Another leader who was on the front lines of immigration was Governor Ducey. He represented the state of Arizona, a border state, of course. He made a lot of headlines for some of his immigration policies. Governor, I'd like to start with a simple question. What did you learn during your time as governor?
3: This is a very complicated issue, Tom. And I I like to separate it out into three different buckets. One is immigration, which I believe is solved in Washington, DC. But the issue we're really talking about here is border security. When I ran for governor in 2014, I went to visit with other sitting governors, Mitch Daniels in Indiana, and he asked me, what are the top three issues in your state? And I said, education, the economy, and border security. He said, border security is not much of an issue in Indiana. Well, that all changed in 2016. Now, in so many ways, every state sees itself as a border state. They have this invasion of drugs and fentanyl that have been coming. And we are a nation of immigrants. And in Arizona, we have an incredible American-Mexican culture in our state. It's part of the flavor of our state. But what has been a, a... Deep issue in our state for now several decades is something that's being discussed everywhere. And if we could separate this out and talk about not only the humanitarian crisis that's happening at the border, but also the public safety crisis, the the wide open and unprotected border, the position law enforcement has been put in, what's going on in communities like Douglas and Yuma, we could have a much more pragmatic discussion about this In in addition to that, one thing that was missing from your video here, Tom, was the first democratic debate, when the question, I believe, to the entire field was, will you provide free health care to illegal immigrants? And every person on that stage raised their hand in the affirmative, including the now sitting president and vice president. And it's the cartels that use that video to take these incredible people and send them on an unbelievably dangerous journey where 50% of the females are sexually assaulted along the way, where the young, talented young men are are co-opted by the drug cartels to become drug runners. And I know there's been a lot of grief about the busing to sanctuary cities. Well, I want to tell you in Arizona, the people that we sent to Washington, D.C., in an attempt to get the attention of the nation to what we believe is a crisis, these people all volunteer, The bus is air-conditioned. There's medical care and food and facilities on the bus. That's not the dangerous journey. It's the dangerous journey that they took to get to our country. So if we can address border security first and then discuss immigration, not only at the service sector, but the software engineer, and then of course, people that just need our help from an asylum standpoint, we'll have a much more productive discussion.
2: So the governor opened the door to a lot of questions I have throughout this uh, talk. I was gonna ease into them, but since you opened the door, Governor, I'm gonna go right into it now um, and stay in this conversation with you. You, you sent more than 2,000 migrants from Arizona to other states. Why?
3: I sent them to Washington, D.C. to get, try to get NBC's attention.
2: Yeah. Thank no, you. But, for, but, thanks for paying attention but, finally. But no, I, but, but I asked you, what was the reason for that? I mean, I, I've covered this issue and I, I don't mean. To, it, we, I don't w- be to because about it
3: because Yuma, Arizona and Douglas, Arizona were being overrun. They have no facilities. I went to the White House before any of that happened and talked with Steve Reschetti and never talked to the press about it, saying the president's wrong on this issue to reverse all the previous administration's policy prescriptions. Title 42 remain in Mexico. Uh, many of the, the programs that were working directly with Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras were working. A border had fall- the border had fallen off a top 10 issue in Arizona, if you can believe that in 2020, the border is always an issue. I never wanna act as if it was perfect, but it was, it was being tended to. All of that reversal and the welcoming along with Secretary Mayorkas of a broken border, has this illegal
2: migration that has happened. I've covered immigration for a long time. I've seen how those border towns and cities get completely overwhelmed. It is not fair. You talk to the NGOs there, you talk to the nonprofits, the churches, they will tell you they are overwhelmed, and, and other states should help out. That being said, some in your party, including your fellow governor, Ron DeSantis, did something last year where he sent 50 Venezuelan refugees to Martha's Vineyard. In Martha's Vineyard, they were completely unaware of this. 50 refugees, including children, had to share one bathroom in a church is that right listen i'm going to defend what i've done and i thought the the
3: the movement to washington dc was the right way to go i will applaud uh the mayor of new york and the mayor of chicago lori lightfoot who said we can't do this we can't take care of this so you know invite ron desantis and ask him but where do you where do you personally
2: as as a leader i'm I'm going to stand behind the actions let me governor let me finish the question where do you personally draw the line between? helping the migrants out as you were saying getting them there in a humanitarian manner and playing politics as critics say with human beings i
3: drew the line as to i wanted to do something that i felt reflected the core values that i had my respect for these people and to also act as governor to get some action from washington
2: dc on this crisis level issue Chris, the governor mentioned what the democrats campaigned on in 2020 i do want to ask you this this was candidate biden speaking in 2020 at one of the debates he said quote all those people seeking asylum they deserve to be heard that's who we are we're a nation who says if you are to flee and you're free in oppression you should come they did come the current immigration crisis does president biden does he deserve a lot of credit for creating this crisis
4: It's a crisis that's been created by external dynamics that are in part out of the president's control. Um, Obviously, we experience a global pandemic. Um, That 100 million that you heard in the video is now 108 million, and part of that is a slow-burning crisis in Venezuela, a fast-burning crisis in terms of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. In terms of President Biden's response, I do think that uh, there is a lot more work that the administration could do. I agree with the fact that if we view immigration as a federal issue, there needs to be a national response. We can't have a well-organized uh, system for refugees where us, along with the eight other refugee resettlement agencies, partner with the State Department. We work to figure out where these, migrants, where these refugees should grow. But if you're an asylum seeker, you are prone to becoming a political pawn of governors who choose to grandstand. And that's where I think that the administration has done some important, um, undertaken some important measures. But was there a mistake?
2: I mean, the governor points out the language Language. I pointed out what the current president said. There was a clear uptick between when President Trump leaves office, President Biden comes in. Was there a messaging problem there? Did Democrats go too far and send the wrong signal to migrants?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think people knew that a Democratic president was going to be much more welcoming to immigration than President Trump. But that was a very low uh, kind of threshold to meet. I do think the administration has a opportunity to better message i also kind of recognize that the smuggling organizations have a financial incentive to encourage migration it is a billion dollar industry and this is where immigration has been overtaken by the border discussion but the truth is it is not an issue exclusive to what's happening in Texas or Arizona. We've got to figure out how we create a system that allows for the economic visas that are required in a country where we have 10.1 million jobs that are unfilled and only 6.1 million unemployed Americans. We need to figure out a system that allows for us to understand Immigration is a national security issue. Whether you're talking about Ukraine or Afghanistan, whether you're talking about putting in the vetting system, we're an immigration organization, we're not calling for open borders. But it also has to recognize that these people have a legal right If they are seeking asylum to come to this country and that requires humanitarian pathways that the administration has created it requires Congress to act it requires us to have the refugee resettlement infrastructure in our backyard right now we only have about 2,500 immigrants who come through the refugee system in our in the Western Hemisphere that doesn't make sense and so instead of requiring people to undertake a thousand mile treacherous journey let's allow for immigrants to have the in-country processing let's allow for Accompany children through the Central American Miners Program to apply to be reunited. Most of the kids that we work with who come through the southern border, the vast majority, have a parent or guardian here in the country, and so when people ask why are they coming, it's because their houses are on fire, it's because many of them are coming to this country. And then just a the final point I'll make, um, two points I'll make, on fentanyl. It's important to understand that China is the main source of fentanyl. We know that the primary way fentanyl comes into our country is through border points, and through interior interior vehicle checkpoints. 90% of that, fentanyl, comes through those areas. When we talk about fentanyl, how it comes into the country, it is smuggled by US citizens for US citizens. CBP, when they arrested immigrants, found 0.02% 0.02% of them had fentanyl. This is not smuggling through asylum seekers. And then just the final point on sexual assault. Yes, it's important to understand what's happening when a woman comes to co- across the border, but it's also important to understand what happens to their home country. My family came from Sri Lanka. Uh, please don't judge me for this, but in high school when you could use dial-in and, um, and access the internet, I looked up my, my full first name, Krishanti. The first thing that will pop up, and you'll see it still today, is about a girl who is about the same age as me. She's part of the ethnic and religious minority which is why my parents fled and there are stories from Amnesty International a number of international outlets that highlight she was killed when she was coming back from school because she was detained by the military because she was part of the ethnic and religious minority she was gang raped murdered and dismembered when her mother and her brother went to search for her they were also murdered and dismembered. And so, yes, there is danger along the pathway to come to the U.S., but why are people taking the pathway for the first, in, the, in the first place? It is because there's danger in their home country, and this is where America can be a beacon of hope.
2: Chris, you talked uh, about a lot of issues. Um, I, I do want to talk about solutions here, too, and, and this is a perfect segue for Mary Kay. Mary Kay, Chris mentioned, I think there's 10 million unfilled jobs There's, by some estimates, 11 million undocumented immigrants. I know that number can be higher. There's there's different reports. But this is the stat that always gets people and it gets me. While the U.S. has almost 10 times as many people as Canada, the U.S. brought in the same number, about 275,000 of legal employment-based immigrants in fiscal year 2022 as Canada, and now plans to bring in each year over the next three years. Why?
5: because we don't have a comprehensive immigration system that treats people humanely in the United States of America. And I think it's because the discourse has gotten limited to this question of the border and not Um, the health and well-being of every community in this country. Our union has 2 million members, 300,000 are immigrants from every nation in the world, primarily Mexico and Latin America, but from all around the world. And the lived experience of those immigrants, I think, is the same as people in this room who have an immigrant story, uh, that you just referred to, that people came for something, and want the same things that every American wants in terms of being able to work hard and provide for your family and lead a decent life. And I just think that's a key uh, part of the conversation that the demonization of immigrants that has intensified in our national discourse in the last eight years has completely pushed aside. Then we had a global health pandemic where immigrant workers in every essential service showed up every day for us. Some didn't have access to health care. And thank God there were some policymakers that extended health care coverage to everybody, or it would have been a problem for all of us. And then uh, now we have this uh, uh, shortage where i think part of the airline chaos that we're seeing now is we represent a million service workers 80 percent of whom are immigrant in the nation's airline industry and they report people won't um, take their jobs because they can't make ends meet on ten dollars an hour no paid time off no health care no um no vacation and so Let's think about the ways in which we could create a massive win-win-win uh, solution in this country if we had a comprehensive immigration system that dealt with border security. And in some of the ways the governor has spoken to, I, not all, but some, we could create common ground here, but also deal with the, treating this as a humanitarian crisis, that, that it is, uh, and then that's why I do think we need to return to get off what can President Biden do or don't because it's too narrow it doesn't fix the depth of the problem the problem does have to be fixed by a bi- bipartisan consensus in Congress that deals with the economy every community in this country and good for business
2: right but every president regardless of party needs to be questioned about statements they make and, and policies they put forth uh, governor you, you come from business that's that stat I, I i cited I, explain it to me capitalism runs this economy in this country if, if we need workers what's the disconnect
3: the the disconnect and i want to say to mary kay and chris are very skilled in, in how they they frame this issue so i'll come back to where i began it's to separate out border security from immigration from economic opportunity And I believe if you're pragmatic about it and you address border security first, I can show you thousands of small business men and women, who are registered Republican, who need workers, and want immigration reform on a needs base, both at the service sector and at the t- top tier at Taiwan Semiconductor, that just chose Arizona as its headquarter. And then of course, who we are as a country, the creed of the Statue of Liberty, that's part of what we are as well, but that's the immigration debate. And you've got Tony Gonzalez here who's in Congress, one of the good guys, I think Congress is broken, We've sent one of our best, Juan Siskamani, who was actually born in Mexico and is a naturalized American. And we worked together for seven years. These are people that can bring forth pragmatic solutions. And I would also point out to the Hispanic community is, is trending in this direction, saying, help us in our communities with this border security. Then we do immigration reform, and not only then economic needs and development of the United States. I really believe, you know, my first trip as governor was to Mexico City. My first trip upon being reelected as governor was to Mexico City. My last international trip was to Mexico City. Mexico is Arizona's number one trading partner times four. And I knew that a prosperous Mexico would be a safer Mexico. I was very fortunate with Governor Claudia Pavlovich, the first female governor in the history of Sonora, being elected, and we were partners for six years together, not only in trade and economic development, but in terms of law enforcement and public safety on the border. Mexico is our friend. This is an issue that can be addressed. I don't believe it can be done in a comprehensive way in this Congress. I think America, loves <clears throat> legal immigration. And if we can bring some clarity to the process,
2: along with border security, we can solve this problem. So Representative Gonzalez, <laughs> Governor Ducey saying he doesn't have faith in this Congress. If you look at the polling, it's sort of hard to understand, right? Because Americans don't seem to be all over the place with immigration. It actually se- they actually seem to be closer to agreeing with each other than, than not agreeing. But explain to, to, to everyone here in the audience, why has it become sort of the third rail of politics, where as soon as you, if you're a Republican and you want to make immigration reform, it's going to hurt you in
1: any campaign you do. Yeah, what if I told you, Tom, that nobody wants to solve the immigration issue? What if I told you it's lucrative, it's productive, everyone wants to talk about it, everyone wants to blame the other side for all the explain things Explain all are that, explain all that, yeah. I mean, it's just politically lucrative for one party to fly down to the border, take a picture with a wall and demonize all these folks, legitimate folks on terrorist watch lists, fentanyl that is legitimately killing our kids, utilize that piece, just take that little sliver and go, this is why we need to do X, Y, or Z. And then another party that comes down and says, you know, takes the most vulnerable population that are fleeing the most desperate situations. And I've met with these people over and over again, I'll share a story in a second, and then being able to go and only only showing that part of it. So you never see the whole picture and it's just this round and round we go. Uh, And it's never who you think it is, the people that are these roadblocks. That are stopping it. I'd like to transition to solutions because yeah. the governor brought up a good point. We talk about it all the time. There's a reason why, for three decades, we haven't got any immigration. uh, Reform done in incapacity because it's hard. It's a heavy lift. And well, you know, well, before I got elected to Congress, one of my mentors he pulled me aside and he goes, "Tony, I just have one piece of advice for you: stay as far away from immigration reform as you possibly can. It is a political loser." And I go, "That's probably pretty good advice." And then I get elected to a district that is 42 percent of the southern border, 823 miles, and I live border security and immigration every single day, and I can't get away from it and also it's a problem that needs to get solved and to your point there is an opportunity now more than ever because I don't care where you are in the country you're going wait a second there are work shortages well, I've, I've got legitimate work shortages and it's not just in agriculture and construction it's in every single industry and at the same time people are dying of fentanyl I mean there's people are paying attention that weren't doing it before uh, I'll share a story and then I'll talk about a bill that I'm working on I think it's part of the solution I, I always think back to this moment for uh, I spent 20 years in the military. I spent a lot of Christmases abroad, and uh, a year and a half ago, I, I went uh, for Christmas. I wanted to spend it on the border, so I spent Christmas Day on the border, visit all these different stations. My very first station was in Del Rio. It was 7 a.m. in the morning. I'm thinking, it's Christmas, it's going to be a lighter day. I show up, there's 100 migrants already getting processed, 7 a.m., and I see two things in, when, I, when I think back to this moment. I see a border patrol agent where his face is just uh, leathered. I mean, he's just weathered, he's tired, he's exhausted, his shift barely started, and you can tell he's already exhausted. I see that, that, that frame that's unfair to him and all the people in that space. I see a young woman, probably in her early 20s, with a five-year-old little boy, and that little boy is gripping her hand as tight as can be. And all I can think of is what kind of journey did they get to to get to this point? That little boy had no idea it was Christmas and it was unfair to that family that's happening. And so I always think back to that, and I go, how do you fix that? Now let's go to a solution. And the comprehensive, I get the comprehensive piece, and it makes a lot of sense. The issue I see is when it gets too big, Everybody has a reason to shoot a hole in it. Oh, it doesn't go far enough. Oh, it goes too far. Oh, you're leaving out so-and-so, you're adding so-and-so, and it comes apart before it even gets going. I'm of the mindset you need to piecemeal this thing. You need to kind of almost train people to work again, train Congress to go, wait a second, we can set aside some of the political lucrative capital and solve a problem. If you get people together to do that, you take one step. It has to be enough to move the needle. Well, then in the 118th Congress, I look at it through the lens of what can we get accomplished in the immigration space in the 118th Congress? Not what I want, not what someone else wants in this Congress. And in my eyes, that's through work visas. You you don't talk about dreamers. I get that. I'm happy to have that conversation, but you leave that piece out. You don't talk about pathway to citizenship. I get that, but you leave that piece out. You don't talk about deportations. I get that. You You talk about work visas, strictly through the lens of work visas. And I think there's some things. I've got a piece of legislation. I haven't rolled it out yet. I've got a dozen members on it. It's bipartisan. I've got a dozen outside organizations. But there's been plenty of those legislations. It has to be different. I think part of, part of what it does is it extends work visas from one year to three years. Right now, work visas is a business. If you're, if you're applying for a work visa, you are so desperate. You're willing to spend tens of thousands of dollars to get an employee there for a year. If you extend it to three years, all of a sudden that price cost goes down and you can open it up to other people. You streamline some things, you add technology into it. The, the bottom line is this, and I've seen this in, in migrants' eyes. Many people, I'm, I'm telling you, they don't come here and go, I can't wait to vote for Joe Biden. They don't give a damn about Joe Biden. They're going, I can't wait to get here and earn a paycheck and and take my, my family out of poverty. And the other part of it too is wherever they come from, whether it's Guatemala, wherever it is, wherever they come from, there is no place like home. When I was in the military, I told my sailors this all the time. I don't care where you're from, there is no place like home. And you need to get home as many times as you can because it'll recharge you. So what happens when you're a migrant that came over illegally Let's say you're from guatemala you come over illegally you're working six months into the united states your mother falls desperately ill where do you want to be you want to be at your mother's bedside for her you know for her last moments imagine if you didn't have to be smuggled the other way just to get smuggled back imagine if you had a work visa that you were legal that you could get on a plane you could fly back to guatemala city be there for your loved ones, and then get back on a plane. And instead of getting smuggled in a train cart or a, under a truck or anything like that, you're getting a plane, You're it's through the front door. I think there's an opportunity now more than ever, but it's gonna take political courage. Governor, you just heard the pitch.
2: <clears throat> Again, you come from business, you've been in politics, you, you heard Tony's pitch, What's what do you think?
3: Well, I... I've said now that I'm out of office I can say this Uh, (laughs) I used to say to my team I would make an incredible benevolent dictator Uh, (laughs) because I I I see this as just such a salvable problem and I do think it would it takes some trust um, among the parties which so much of it has been eroded although there are good people on both sides back in DC and I believe that you can actually swing much much harder than Tony described if you begin with border security It wasn't that long ago that our border was at a place where I could feel America's heart opening up to immigration reform, real immigration reform. I saw it in Arizona where we were granting in-state tuition to DACA kids who had been denied it for the previous decade. Americans want to do this. They know it's the right thing to do and we all have our immigration stories, or so many of us do. So I think that if you begin with border security and the reason that that can't happen in this environment is that I believe the Democrats would say, oh, that's too much of a win for the right. But then the equal and opposite reaction has to be real immigration reform, both at all all sectors on a needs-based. And then how do we, Chris, this is probably the, the tougher discussion, is if I were a father in any of these countries, I would be dreaming every day of how I could get my three sons to the United States. Yet we can't have everyone in the world coming here. And we know, I believe, we know why they're coming so how can we have a humanitarian policy that reflects our values on how that's done and we all know that the asylum laws are being gamed by many people and yes there are folks that are in need of that but we also know the legal game that's being played at the border so you can put one foot on american soil and then disappear into the ether for
2: years before you pick that up though governor Every time I've asked you a question, you've mentioned border security. Yes. Make it crystal clear for us, what does that mean for you? It means that we know who's coming
3: and who's going, that we actually have attention to the border, that we don't have this wide open and unprotected uh, place. You've, you've seen the, the, the pictures of the, of the people gathered in, in Del Rio, Texas, and uh, for some reason, you and Douglas don't seem to make as, as many shots for whatever reason. Uh, Wait, I'm sorry, th- th- what did you say?
2: <laughs> that what, that what? Th-
3: wh- the the pictures of, of what's happening yeah. in these border communities that is not border security that is a wide open and unprotected border
2: people flooding across that's that's got to still no, but that's documented i mean you see that in the news
3: yes and that's that's not border security. So that was you, not going on. Build a higher at, wall,
2: build a stronger wall, more border well, agents. I,
3: more, I think a, a physical barrier is, is part of it. I think more, um, more law enforcement is part of it. I also think that, that um, satellites and technology can be part of it and also just clear rules. Um, this, this is an illegal activity. We, we need immigration. And I want us to also simplify the rules on, on how you come here legally. And I think we're in a position right now, one, we're a big, great country, and we can absorb people into our country. In many ways, this has been the secret sauce of our economy, and it can also be the secret sauce of America's next century in terms of demographic shifts and, and lower birth rates. But It begins with border security. To me, the pragmatic person in me that wants to address the issue and solve the problem says if you check that box and you can get to those numbers of the 2019, 2020, even Jay Johnson, Barack Obama's former Secretary of Homeland Security talks about the numbers that he would look for every day and what determined that the border was trending in the right direction or wrong direction. And all of those have been broken exponentially under the
2: Biden administration. So Chris, it was a tough, it was a tough question that, that Governor Ducey asked, but it's, it's the right question. How many people should be allowed in? Who should be allowed in? When I was at the border over the last year, you, you talked to these groups of, of migrants, refugees, some of them coming from Venezuela, walking from Venezuela, and there'll be a a, a group of 50, and you'll say, who's seeking asylum? And they all raise their hand. And that's changed over the last couple of years because those numbers used to not be that high. So the question is, who should be allowed in?
4: Yeah. So let me frame the question though slightly differently because I do think that the underlying assumption we often hear is the country is, is full. It's not, right? We have a lower percentage of immigrants today than we had in 1910. The the wicked problem right now is the demographic cliff that we face. We have the lowest birth rate since the census has been tracking this issue. My husband and I have been doing my part. Uh, we actually, this is my first trip um, after uh, having a, a baby two months ago. Um, thank you very much.
1: But we, We've got six. So you- <laughs> <laughs> All right, my husband and I have some work to do. Um, Tony's
4: been busy. But, okay. but, but this is where we have an opportunity. I mean, look at our northern neighbor, right? They're actually trying to encourage immigrants from the U.S. to come to Canada. Look at Japan, which has the prospect of what we will face where there's more adult diapers than kid diapers. Right now our country is not full. The slow-burning crisis we face is that we don't have the population that we need. And so my argument is we should be welcoming immigrants because it is the greatest strength of our country, is that people are tragically still willing to die to come into it. Now, When it comes to the southern border, should people be coming and using the asylum system when they need an economic visa? Absolutely not. But the problem is that when people say, well, they should be coming the right way, they have to understand there isn't really a right way. Why do we have Chinese and Indians who are traveling through a circuitous route to the southern border? Because the economic visas aren't there. Family reunification is taking 10 to 20 years. Why do we have 20,000 Ukrainians come through the southern border after Putin's invasion? How can we as a country say we can't take enough when you saw Europe taking 7 million after Putin's invasion? Our country can walk and chew gum, but it does require a system that is better and requires a conversation that doesn't sequence it. Border security is related to economic visas because we know that Cato Institute, for example, says that the more economic visas you have, the less unauthorized migration you will have through the southern border. we as an immigration organization say, let's increase the number of economic visas. Let's make sure that we have humanitarian pathways, whether it's humanitarian parole or a refugee resettlement system that works. But let's also recognize that we as a country have faith communities all across the country that have stepped up to do this work, but what we don't need is governors who are taking migrants from the existing border infrastructure and shipping them to Martha's Vineyard in order to create chaos. And so I think that's where there is an opportunity.
2: Mary Kay, I want to get you in here. Uh, yeah. The unions have so much power in this country, political power, capital power, manpower. Uh, what is their role in this crisis?
5: Well, we've been representing immigrant workers who are trying to make a better life by increasing wages. That's one way. A second way is we are trying to back immigrant workers' demands for extension of temporary protected status, um, a, a comprehensive solution that deals with creating a pathway to citizenship with the way it was spoken about in the video with orderly and rules uh, for the 11 million undocumented, we're arguing uh, for that. And basically making the case that Krishna makes, which is there's, there's a way to address the, what I call, I consider the fears that have frankly been whipped up Uh, by the political discourse in this country along the border. The border is not open. The border, I understand the border is being being overrun. Uh, And I just feel like another wicked thing that none of the labor movement has confronted yet is the climate migration that is underway from Latin America and that we're not naming it. Uh, and it's going to intensify.
2: We have uh, less than seven minutes left, so I'm gonna ask each of you if you had one thing you could change about our immigration policy or our situation, what's the one thing you would change? Governor, I'm gonna start with you.
3: I'm I'm not gonna have repeaters disease. I would start with border security and and, uh, Chris and Mary Kay. Politics is, is the art of the possible. We've seen that it's possible to secure this border. Then what you're talking about with work visas and asylum reform and everything else is possible beyond that. But I'm, I'm gonna stay right there because I would like to address the solution. I know what Tony's talking about of how lucrative this can be. And I, I would say that you don't see that. Uh, and you can point to a, a, a governor or what you would call a grandstanding. I will tell you, and Greg Abbott would say the same thing. This is an exhausting issue for a governor This is a federal issue that has uh, been derelict in its duty. And every time you have to address the border, you can never satisfy the people that are upset and you really can't bring a solution. That's going to happen in Washington, DC. And I use the example that I have from the 7.4 million Arizonans that I was was honored to serve, that they have a big heart and they would welcome real immigration reform once they felt that there was some kind of stability the border which
2: is not where we are today representative Gonzalez you want to go next one thing you would change right now
1: Uh, first we gotta we have to understand that we can we have to stop waiting for the president of the United States to solve this because we've been waiting on that for three decades and they've all had failed us I think this starts I think this starts in the House of Representatives and that's hard Yep, And we got a couple of members here. I think that's hard. I think you start in the house of representatives. And to me, a win is simply bringing people together and taking one step forward. Maybe it's not everything that we want. Maybe it's not everything that ever, that ever that we should address, but if we could just do something, one thing in the 118th Congress, maybe, we can take that same group and maybe we can do something else in the 119th Congress. And maybe the way way politics works is, nobody wants to do the heavy lift, nobody wants to pop their head out, nobody wants to take all the arrows, but when the train is heading down the tracks about to hit the finish line, everybody wants to jump on board and, and it was their idea from the beginning. You know what? I'm okay with that. You know what, I think if the House can, can roll up our sleeves, go to work, we bring it 90% of the way, and then let the senators take the credit, and they parachute in, and they're wise, you know, the wise upper chamber takes it, and then all of a sudden, you know, I don't care how we get there. I'm just, like, one step. And to me, that's work visas. Uh, there's other things I wanna do, but in the 118th Congress, I think if you start with work visas, I think there's an opportunity to take that first step. Okay. Mary Kay.
5: Um, I think of my uh, role as a labor leader in this debate not as having to be confined by the politics of the possible, because I'll leave that to our lawmakers, (laughs) but that my role is to figure out how to create the pressure that extends the imagination of the country about Uh, the hopes and dreams of immigrant families being recognized in the way they have in the history of our country with the next wave of new immigrants that we want to welcome. And so my dream of what I think I should be doing is creating a civil society demand where American business, American labor, uh, religious organizations, and immigrant advocacy organizations link arms and push the politics of the possible for a solution that may be piecemeal, but has to be in, this, in, in, the, in a vision that's comprehensive for us living the values of this, of this country and making this country realize the promise uh, of its founders that we've never had.
2: And then Chris, you get the last word.
5: Oh
4: gosh, pressure's on. Um, <laughs> I changed the, changed the narrative because I don't think that we have a policy problem, we have a politics problem. And I think I would start by uh, grounding this in the values orientation of patriotism and making this personal. Um, when we talk about you know, these people, we've got to understand that they are us, right? They're just the latest version of that. Um, and also when it comes to patriotism, we need to recognize and, and embrace the fact that we Welcome immigrants, not because they're Americans, but because we are. And I think that we have an opportunity to make this argument right now more than at any other time in our history, because I run a charitable organization. Immigration is not charity, it is necessity. At a time when we talk about inflation, we need to recognize that what we're talking about is immigration. At a time when you have immigrants being treated as political pawns, we need to respect them as the people who take care of our parents, who take care of our children, who make hotels run. When I checked into Aspen Meadows, it was Angela, who's on a J-1 visa, who uh, you know, mentioned that most of the workers here, or even in town, are coming from other countries. But of course, after a year here, they go back. This is a huge opportunity where we have to realize that we don't have a choice to make this a political hot potato, because if we don't fix this, we will no longer remain the greatest nation in the world.
2: Um, With that, we're going to leave the conversation here. On behalf of NBC News and the Aspen Ideas Festival, we thank you.
0: Ducey is a former governor of Arizona, first elected in 2014 and serving two terms until January 2023. Ducey was previously Arizona State Treasurer from 2011 to 2015 and had a career in business before that. Krish Omara Venaraja is President and CEO of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service, a faith-based nonprofit serving immigrants and refugees. Prior to this, she was White House Policy Director for Michelle Obama. Tony Gonzalez is a U.S. representative from Texas in his second term, representing the 23rd Congressional District. He's also an assistant professor at the University of Maryland System, teaching political science with an emphasis on counterterrorism. Mary Kay Henry is the international president of the Service Employees International Union. Previously, she was executive vice president and Southern California organizing director at SEIU. Tom Yamas is a senior national correspondent for NBC News reporting for NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt, Today, NBC News Now, and MSNBC. Previously, he was an anchor and correspondent at ABC News. Today's show was programmed by the Aspen Ideas Festival team in partnership with NBC Universal News Group and produced by Natalie Jones and me. Our music is by Wonderly. I'm Trisha Johnson. Thanks for listening.